from my perspective, uh, leading across multiple campuses and, uh, and having the opportunity to help families, lots of families, uh, and just seeing what's going on, even when I'm not always personally involved, when I hear about it and know about it, I'm, I'm able to, to see things and, and kind of um, see what is happening in, in the lives of our church family. And it's amazing how often similar things are happening to people all across our congregations at the same time. So, for instance, um, uh, if there is a wave or a, if a series of miracles, you will see God moving in one family, and then over here I'll see God moving in another family, and then over here I'll see God moving in another family, and over here I'll see God uh, answering another prayer, over here he's doing another miracle, and you can see when God's hand uh, or, or, or he breathes on our congregation, you just see a series of miracles and a wave come across uh, the, the people of Triumph. It's a pretty incredible thing. Um, unfortunately, you can also see the flip side. And, and that's what I'm seeing right now. Uh, I, I'm seeing um, families that are, that are going through loss. Just, just yesterday, we had two families, one one. Uh, one of our, our wonderful families lost their mother. Another of our wonderful uh, long-term families lost their older brother. Uh, this just happened yesterday alone. I have um, two of our uh, two. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Let me just put it this way: There's four people very, very close to me in my life that are suddenly battling cancer that hadn't been, and that are fighting for their lives. And this just all is kind of. Blown up over the over the last few weeks, and I, and I look across, and, and literally a, a family came into the church this week desperate, and their apartment had caught on fire and burned everything they owned, and they didn't have renter's insurance. They lost everything. These are the t- and I, I don't want to scare you and make you think, man, we're leaving here and something bad's about to happen to me. That's not the point. But you can when you, just like you can see um, when God's wind blows through and a wave of miracles comes through, you can also see when the enemy launches an all-out attack on our people. I can't tell you how many marriages that we've been working with that are battling for to hang on by every thread. Should we stay or should we throw in the towel? Finances and people are just struggling and saying, I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to go. These are the battles that we're facing every every day. And again, I don't want to discourage you but in, in, instead, I want to do something different, and, and God uh, just kind of awakened something in me this week, and I, and I wanted to share a message with you today. You know, uh, Jesus, when he went through and you study his life, you find where Jesus did a number of things on a daily basis. Um, two of them are, it says that Jesus taught and he preached. He went through the city, and he went through the temple, and he went through the area, and he was teaching, and he was preaching. Now, our New Testament differentiates these two things because they are two different things. And we often think of them as the same, but they are two different giftings. And what I love about Jesus is he knew the moment when one or the other was needed. Now, in our last series in Mastermind, I've been spending a lot of time with you teaching about how our mind works, how your brain works, how your emotions work. And how God can do great things in your life if we can control our thoughts. If we could change our thoughts, we could change our life. But it was a lot of teaching. It was my my teaching gift at work. But today, if you will allow me, it's not so much about teaching, but I really felt that uh, what we needed today was some preaching. 
And so I'm going to share a story with you, and, and I'm going to ask you to, um, what, what's the difference? Teaching is, is the giving of information and how it applies to our life, but preaching has an inspirational side to it. So I am going to teach you some things because I, I'm, I'm a teacher, and I hope you learn some things today. But beyond that, I'm asking God to help me preach to you today that when you leave here, you're inspired, and you're ready to go out of this place and look the devil in the eyes and kick him in the teeth and, and take on life again. Is that okay? So uh, I, I don't preach all that much. When I do, I need you to get with me. All, all that to say, you're going to preach with me today? Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and we're not going to read every verse in this chapter, but we are going to cover them all. Our title today is this, I've been in the fire, but I smell like heaven. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. I don't know why everything happens in life, but I do know why I'm here today. And I'm here to deliver a word that you've dropped in my spirit that has inspired me and has lifted me up. And God, I believe that it is a word for this moment, for this church, for those watching online. It is for every one of us today, Lord God. For There are so many of us that are in the midst of a fire and it's hot and it's hard and it's difficult. But God, we're going to come out smelling like heaven because you are with us. So speak to us today, encourage us deep in our soul today, deep in our spirit today, Lord God. Encourage us, open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive from you. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the people said, amen. 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 In Daniel chapter 3, it's a very famous story about three young men and a king. And um, we'll just we'll read a few verses, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, understand that this story is about some Israelites. Um, however, these Israelites, these Jews, were in captivity in Babylon. Babylon. So... Nebuchadnezzar is the king and they are subject to his rule because they are they're not living in Jerusalem now they have been exiled they are slaves but what's so incredible in this story is that even as exiles and even as slaves they find themselves in the favor of the king being put in positions of leadership and, and you find where slaves are actually leading and influencing the nation the, of course, David, you remember David and uh, the, the uh, lion's den. Uh, you remember all these stories. This is happening. And there's also these three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he wasn't so much, uh, I don't think you could call him a monotheist, meaning he didn't believe in just one God. The truth is, he may or may not have been a polytheist, be, believing in a lot of gods. But more than all of that, he believed he was more powerful than any other god. And what he wanted was worship as a god. That's how he wanted to be seen. So he builds himself this massive statue. It's 90 foot tall and 9 foot wide on the plain of Dura. To put this into context, have you ever seen a picture 
uh, there's a big statue, a large statue called Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro. And it's a big white statue of Jesus and he's standing up on the mountain. And have you seen that picture? I should have had one for you. I'm sorry. Uh, that, that's, all, that's just a shade higher. That's about 95, 97 feet tall. So it's about the same size as Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro. And that's how he, he built this huge statue. And, he, and he, uh, he, it's covered in gold from head to toe. And it's just this massive gold statue of himself. Then he sent messengers. Now I want you to watch here who he invites to come see this statue. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up. Now I want you to notice, he didn't invite, invite the normal people. The only people he invited to the dedication were the important people were the people in leadership, the people that were ruling, the people that had a place of authority. And when he invites them, he then said, Then the herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7, so at the sound of all the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Understand what he's asking them to do. He's asking them to worship him as a God, but even more importantly than that, what he's saying is, I want you to take your influence, your position of authority, and I want you to give it to me or I want you to submit it to me. I want you to bow to me and take everything that you have built because you represent other people. And if you bow, they will bow. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. Verse 11, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Here's what they, here's what they say. There's three Jews... They're supposed to be slaves, and yet they're at the meeting. I want, you, I want you to get this in your mind. These Jews had no business being there, except that they were already in a position of influence. Now they're about to go through one of the most difficult trials of their life. But what they can't afford to lose track of is, if they bow, the people they're influencing will bow. What the enemy wants you and I to do in our life is he recognizes that you are in a position of influence in your world. There are people watching you. There are people looking at you. There are people examining everything that you do. 
And if he can get you to bow, everyone who you're influencing will bow, bow also. There were thousands of people there. Uh, it, it's hard to know exactly how many. I, I read numbers up over to over 100,000 people were there. I don't know how many were there. We know it was tons and tons and tons of people. It is entirely possible that these three, the only three that didn't bow, could have gone unnoticed. And yet, somebody ratted them out. Many theologians and, and uh, commentaries allude to the fact that it might be been because of jealousy. Because just a couple of chapters before, these slaves were put in positions of influence. And, and these astrologers or these, uh, these other guys didn't like it. So they were jealous, so they were watching them to see if it would happen again, looking for a way to get rid of them. you got to know in your life that, man, the enemy is out to get us. He's walking around, prowling, seeking whom he might devour like, like a lion. He is looking. He doesn't want to let you get by. You say, oh, how do they get by with it? And I don't, because the devil is looking to call you out. stand before the king and the king gets really upset he calls them in and he says guys is this really the case it's it's almost for a second like the king when you just when you just read it it, it feels to me as if the king was looking for a reason not to throw them in the furnace here's a king that says if anybody doesn't bow you're going straight to the furnace and now he says guys this has been accused of you let let me let me just give you one more chance. Go ahead and bow one time. And I, and I love what, what these guys say. Let me, let me find my verse here. Uh, verse 19. Verse 16. They said, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I love these young guys. Never, never. Let, let's make it clear. So he gets really upset. He's furious with them. So his, the, the Bible says that his face, in verse 19, became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants and their turbans and their robes and their other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, watch this, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. They tied them up, their strongest, baddest soldiers, tied them up, threw them in the fire, and died in the process. <laughs> so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement, amazement exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, he shouted, I see Four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Or in another version, the fourth looks like the Son of God. <laughs> I, I love this. It, it gets better. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted to the guys, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out of the fire. Then the high officers and officials and governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Watch this. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And their clothing was not even scorched. And watch this. They didn't even smell like smoke. They had been in the fire, but they came out smelling like heaven. I want to encourage you for just a few moments. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your fire looks like or sounds like or feels like. I don't know if it's hot or seven times hotter. I, I don't know if it's finances. I don't know if it's relationships. I don't know if it's emotions. I don't know if it's sickness. I, I don't know what it is in your life. But if you're in a fire or you're facing a fire, I want to encourage you today that you may go through the fire, but first of all, know this. You can come out smelling like heaven if you refuse to bow. You, 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 we, can't, we can't bow to the things of this world. We can't bow to the gods of this world. That's what the devil wants from you. He desires your worship. He wants a commitment from you in your life that you're going to serve him rather than your God. Don't bow to the world that you're in. Don't bow to other gods. I, I love the King James Version. The boys said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I, I love that. <laughs> We're not even going to waste our time thinking up a good response, King. We're not even going to try to justify our way around this. We're not even going to defend ourselves. We're not even going to waste our time. Do what you need to do because we're never going to bow. I wonder how many of us in our life are facing fires and trying to excuse our way around it. The, the, the enemy is threatening us and, and the world is putting things on us and we're facing things and we are looking for excuses to bow. The boys didn't say, well, we have nothing to gain by resisting. We could do more good if we just bowed and we lived. No, they didn't do that. They didn't say something like, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. They didn't make the excuse, look, we'll lose our jobs, we'll lose our standard of living. No, they didn't do all that. They didn't make the excuse. You, you see, notice, they, they could have said, well, after all, he didn't ask us to re renounce our God. He just wanted us to bow to his statue. This is a tough one right here. <laughs> because we think we can love the world and love God at the same time. We think we can serve God and, and, and then serve the world on the side, and it doesn't work that way. We want to convince ourselves that we can love both, but it is a lie of the enemy. Here's what John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, look here, the love of the, for the Father is not in them. It's not in you. You don't get to love both. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and despise the other. You're going to hate the one and love the other. You, you can't serve two masters. And they did, so they didn't rationalize this. They didn't, they didn't try to come up with excuses. They just said, no matter what you do, we're never going to bow. If you're in the fire today, may I encourage you, never bow. They could have said, well, you know what? Everybody else is doing it. Maybe, maybe no one will notice. Maybe God won't notice. Maybe, you know what? We're here 
and no one is looking. All the people we lead, all the people we're influencing are, are back in Babylon and we're out here on the plain of Dura and no one will even know that we did it. We could have done it in private and gone back and never said another word about it. They, didn't, they, they refused to bow even in private. They could have said, well, you know, it's only once and it's not for very long. Ten minutes is just for the king. It, it's stupid to throw away our lives for ten minutes. Our God will understand. Do you see how we can rationalize things and we can make excuses for our behavior, make excuses for why we are bowing? How were they able to stand? They were able to stand because they had already seen God come through for them. You see, just a couple of chapters earlier, they, along with Daniel, stood up and refused to eat the, the food the, that would, uh, of the king that was called unclean, and they refused to eat it against threats of and, and violence, and, and uh, they, they still continued to stand. They had already seen their God come through for them. In small things like what they were eating, God had come through for them, and they had confidence that they could stand tall in the big things. You see, here's the truth. It is unrealistic to allow small compromises in your life, but promise obedience when it really matters. compromise a little bit here and I'm going to compromise a little bit there and I'm going to compromise a little bit here they don't matter they're just small things and then suddenly it comes to a big thing and you think you're going to stand strong no you'll end up bowing to the big thing too these boys refused to bow may I encourage you today the enemy wants you to serve a statue but we serve the living God don't settle for less than a living God so the first thing I want you to know is you can come out smelling like heaven if you refuse to bow. Number two, you can come out smelling like heaven when you declare that God is able. What do you believe about your God? Do you believe that he is able? Look, they said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is able. He will rescue us from your power. They were fully convinced that God was able and he was going to do it. What are you convinced that your God is able to do? I don't mean what, what do you shout about on Sunday morning, but I'm talking about when you're facing the fire, what do you believe that your God is able to do in your life? I, I'm just convinced that my God is able to do anything. I'm just convinced that the, the, the angel said nothing is impossible with God. I'm convinced that that's the kind of God we serve. What do you believe about God? You see, I, I'm convinced that the, the grace and the power that they carried was greater than the fire they faced. The grace and the power that you carry, the favor that you carry, is greater than the power that you're facing the fire in front of you. Do you know who you are? Do you know who your God is? Nothing's impossible. The devil wants to convince us that our lack is the deciding factor. Our weakness is the deciding factor, but that's not the case. God's power is the deciding factor. Do you believe that he is able? And I love this. I, I love that they weren't afraid to declare it. What are you declaring in your life? Are you moaning and complaining? Or are you declaring that God is able? This is, so, this is so important here because we see in this story and so many others, when these three young boys declared their God was able, he delivered them. But what we find in the book of Psalm is time and time again when the Israelites were moaning and complaining. Here's what the Bible says. 
their complaining limited the Holy One of Israel. What you're speaking out of your mouth can unlock the power of God or it can limit the power of God. What are you declaring? What are you saying? Are, 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 are we upset and, and, and groaning and complaining and whining and, and, and li- talking to anyone who are here? Or are we telling everyone, I know this looks bad to you, but my God is able. I know that fire is hot, but my God is able. You've got to know, just because the fire is taking other people out doesn't mean it's going to harm you. Number three, you can come out smelling like heaven. If you, when you submit to God's will. You see, they didn't stop at our God is able and he's going to deliver us. They went ahead and reasoned this whole thing out. Look what he said. If we're thrown, thrown in a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able. He's going to rescue us from your power, your majesty. Full confidence. But then they go on. But look, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship even even if he doesn't they were totally submitted to the will of god this is a total submission god we're trusting our our belief our hope our trust our faith in you is not dependent upon the circumstances it's not dependent upon if you answer me it's not dependent upon if you do what i'm asking you to do no it's just very clear we we're serving our god whether he saves us or doesn't save us he's more than able But if he chooses not to, we're still not going to serve you because we're submitted to his will. Is your submission to God's will dependent upon his willingness to do what you're asking? Because for so many of us it is. I'll serve God as long as he's serving me. I'll serve God as long as he's functioning like a genie in a bottle. I'll serve God as long as when I pray, he answers me and gives me what I need. I'll serve God as long as he makes my life wonderful and easy and takes away all the fire and all the pain. I'll serve God then. I'll submit to his will then. Or are you willing to submit to God's will even if he doesn't save you? This is a true test. This is, this is the next step in the process. It's, it, it's wonderful to shout about God is able. But are you willing to submit even when he doesn't they let it be known i I think there's something great in this they they wanted the enemy to know They, they wanted the enemy to know look don't waste your time trying to convince us to change our mind can i tell you you ought you ought to let the devil know put him on notice that god's going to see me through and if he even if he doesn't i'm never going to serve you Even if I don't get the healing, I'm never going to serve you. Even if I don't get the miracle, I'm never going to serve you. Even if my marriage doesn't work out, I'm never going to serve you. Even if I don't get the promotion I've been hoping for, I'm never going to serve you. So devil, you can waste your breath because I'm choosing God. Here's what James wrote to us in chapter 4, verse 17. He said this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you know what it starts with is submit yourself to God. He didn't say resist the devil and he will flee from you and then submit yourself to God. That's not what he said. 
He said, submit yourself to God first. Submit yourself to his will. Submit yourself to the difficult things and the good things, to the hard times and to the great times, to the benefits that accompany salvation and to the days when you've got to pick up your cross and follow him. Submit yourself to all of it. And then when you resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. If you've been trying to resist the devil on your own, look, resisting without first submitting is a waste of time. The devil has been around since the beginning of time. He can wait you out. He can wear you down. It's why Paul wrote to us, don't grow weary while doing good. Why? Because the devil can just keep on you and keep on you and keep on you. So you can resist him on your own for one day. And you can resist him on your own for two days. You might even make it a week. If you're really spiritual, you might make it a month. But eventually, if you try to resist the devil without first submitting to God, he's going to wear you down and wear you out and you will give in. So James said, look, you're getting this thing out of order. First, you have to submit yourselves to God and his will 100%. And then when you get in that place, you resist the devil and he has to flee from you. I want to challenge you in your thinking today. Have you been trying to resist without first submitting? Get it in the right order and watch the devil turn and run. You can kick the devil out of your life. Make an announcement, devil, you might as well leave because I'm submitted to his will. If he saves me, he saves me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If we burn, we burn. But I'm never going to bow. I'm submitted to the will of God. Can I get an amen this morning? In verse 24... It says in the New Living, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors. But if you read some of the old manuscripts in the, in the Septuagint and, and some of these other manuscripts, uh, and, and it didn't make it into our scripture, um, but many of the old historians and the old writers and the old manuscripts say that what got his attention was not that he saw four men in the fire, what got the king's attention was that he heard something. What did he hear? He heard the sound of men over the crackling of the fire singing praises to their God. They were worshiping in the middle of the fire. They were praising in the middle of the battle. They were lifting their hands. How were they lifting their hands? Because Jesus had already set them free. And they said, you can tie us down, but you can't stop us from worshiping. And it got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And suddenly he turned around and he looked. And that's when he saw four men in the fire. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you four things really quickly that God wants to do for you. If you're in the middle of a fire, if you're about to go into a fire, you know, sometimes you can see a fire coming. You know it's about to get hot. You know it's coming. I'm going to give you four things very quickly that Jesus did for them. Number one, he gave them his presence. Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men and one of them looks like the son of God. I want, I want to speak this into your life today. If you're in a fire or you're going through a fire, can I just say to you that Jesus is with you? He's with you. Sometimes it, it may not look like we, we can't see him. We, we don't know if he's there. We, so, we see no, uh, nothing in this story that show, shows that the boys even knew he was there. They didn't see the fourth man but he was there. We know he was there because the king, who was not a believer, saw him. 
And he said, he looks like the son of God. Jesus was with him. Look, we get so caught up thinking if I don't see Jesus, he must not be with me. But you know what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. When you're walking by faith, you're probably not going to see Jesus. When you're you're really walking by faith, you're probably not going to see him. But that doesn't mean that other people don't see him walking right beside you. That doesn't mean the people that are looking at you. That doesn't mean your enemies don't, don't see something else with you. They don't see God with you even when you don't see it. Don't let, don't let your lack of seeing God stop you from believing that he is there. I want to I speak the presence of God into your life. It's one of the things that Jesus did for me. He said, look, I know you just stood for me. You refused to bow. You submitted to my will. You declared that I was able, so I'm not going to let you go through the fire alone you're going through a fire you are not alone his presence is with you number two is freedom freedom he gave them freedom what do i mean by this well they took their strongest soldiers and they bound them with ropes and they threw them in the fire but when nebuchadnezzar looks back in they're walking around how are they walking around because they were freed i'm not talking about delivered from the fire I'm talking about freed from things that were binding them. Here's what I want to speak over you. When when I read this, I I, I just heard the Spirit of God saying that in the midst of the fire, I, I didn't cause the fire, but while you're in it, I'm going to free you from some things that have been holding you down, that have been keeping you bound. You've had some bitterness in your heart. I'm going to free you from that. You've had some unforgiveness you've been struggling with. I'm going to free you from that. You've had an addiction that you couldn't seem to get broke free. But in the middle of the fire, you're going to look up and you're going to be totally free. You've been struggling with some things in your life. I didn't cause the fire, but while you're in it, I'm going to set you free. Paul wrote to us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set you free so that you could be free, that you could live free, that you could walk free. The hotter the fire gets, the closer God gets, and the more his power is going to move in your life. These four men were unbound. I want to speak that into your life. Unbound. 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 Number three was deliverance. So he, he freed them from the ropes, from the things that were binding them even before he delivered them. But I just believe God's going to deliver you from the fire. He's either going to deliver you from it or he's going to deliver you through it. But one way or another, deliverance is coming into your life. If you've been going through a fire and you need deliverance, would you just raise your hand? I just want to speak that things are shifting and things are changing and things are moving. He's either going to deliver you through it or he's going to deliver you from it. But the fire, you're you're being delivered from it in the name of Jesus. I, I want to speak as the Spirit of God that says, come out, come here. The fire is coming to an end. And then number four, we find this in verse 30. Let me read it to you. Then the king, watch this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. The fourth thing I want to speak over your life is promotion. Promotion. They refused to bow. This doesn't make any sense. He gets all the leaders and makes them bow. And if you don't bow, you die. They refuse to bow. They go into the fire. They come out and he says, you know what? I changed my mind. Not only am I not going to kill you, 
but I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to put you in a place of even greater influence because you refused to bow. You remember when, when Jesus came out of the desert, he had been fasting and praying in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and the devil brought Jesus up to the top of the mountain, and he said, look out here. Look out here. Look at, the, look at all the kingdoms. Look at all the earth. I'll give it all to you if you just bow. Jesus said, I can't afford to do that because if I bow to you now, yes, I'll skip the fire. Yes, I'll skip the cross, but... My destiny is not just to rule this earth, but to save all of mankind, both in the history and into the future. My, the, the, my destiny is to sit at the, the throne room of the Father, right at the right hand of the Father, where the earth is my footstool. I'm going to get it all anyway. I'm going to be promoted out of this deal if I go through the fire. So Jesus rationalized this thing, and he said, I'll take the fire, I'll take the cross, I'll take the ridicule, I'll take the pain, I'll take the struggle, because I know that promotion is coming on the other side. Can I tell you that God has things for you in your future that you weren't ready for, but the fire will get you ready. The, the fire will put you in a position where, the, where God says, okay, now it's time for promotion. Things you couldn't handle before, now you can handle. Things that don't make sense before are going to make sense. The, the world is going to look at you and say, man, we tried to tear you down, but we couldn't tear you down, so why don't we promote you instead? God is lifting you up. The Bible says it is to him who lifts one up and pushes another down. Can I speak over you that he's putting you in the camp where he's lifting you up, and another who bowed, he's going to move them to the side and he's lifting you up promotion is coming to your life promotion is coming. more influence where you already had some he's raising it up if you can just refuse to bow submit to the will of God and declare that God is able promotion is coming to your house can I get a big amen this morning amen you you've been through the fire but look at the person next to you and say, I still smell like heaven because I refuse to bow. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet with me. I want to pray one thing. I, I want to challenge you with one thing, and then we're going to worship, and our host is coming this morning. But, but here's what I want to say to you. They looked at these three young boys. The king gave them a chance. He gave them an out, and he looked at them in the eyes, and he said, is it true? said, King, don't even waste your breath asking us. We're not going to be careful to answer this. We're not going to try to get out of it. We're just telling you we're not bowing, not now, not ever. Throw us in the fire. Throw us in the lion's den. It's never going to happen. Fast forward in Scripture. One of the heroes of the New Testament, Peter. He's looking at his Messiah. And they're in the process of crucifying him and beating him. And all the disciples are running for their lives. But Peter, he was close enough to see Jesus. He was, just, he was just in the courtyard and he could see Jesus. And they came to him. And they said, is it true that you're one of them too? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. But Peter said, no, it's not me. Three times they asked him. Three times he got a chance. The Bible says he looked over and he locked eyes with Jesus. And he took off running in his shame because he knew he had bowed. If you're in the room today and you bowed and you know you did, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to make a scene. You don't, I, I, this is not a time to bring shame on you. Here's what I want to tell you. The first thing Jesus did when he 
was resurrected from the grave is he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. And he called Peter to himself and he restored him anyway. There's what I want to say to you today. If you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're listening to the podcast and you know in your heart, you gave in, you bowed down. You say, Pastor Ryan, I, I didn't stand up in the face of the fire. Good news. God is a restorer. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come here today. And so many of us are facing fires, difficulties, struggles. Maybe we caused it, maybe we didn't. Maybe it's an attack of the enemy, maybe it just is life. But whatever the case, God, we are in the midst of a fire. And we need you. Father, I'm praying for those that bowed. They bowed to the ways of the world. They bowed to the things of this world. They, 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 they gave in. The pressure was too strong. The fire was too hot. Lord, we tried to love you. We tried to serve you, but it was too much this time. Lord, I, I pray that you would look down on us like Peter. And you would call us back to your heart. And you would restore us today. Lord, I speak against shame. I speak against shame right now and I break its back in the name of Jesus. No embarrassment, none of that. It's all got to go. It's all got to go. For Father, you're standing here with open arms inviting us back in. We'll get, our, we'll get another chance. But for day, today, God, you're just loving us. For every person that said, no, it's not me, God, restore them right now because you love us. And Lord, I pray for those going through the fire right now. Lord, I pray that you are blessing us with your presence and you are blessing us with freedom and you are delivering us from the fire or through the fire. But God, you, on the other side, you are setting us up for promotion. I believe you are positioning us where we had a little influence before, we're going to have great influence after. Lord, if we had bowed before, the people following us would have bowed. But now, God, the whole country has seen. The whole nation has seen. Everyone has seen how good you are, how strong you are, and you are promoting us. And now, more than ever before, people are going to look to us to see you, God. I thank you for promotion in our lives, in every area of our lives, God. When they couldn't put us down, they have no choice to, but to promote us. I thank you for it. I bless your people now. Encourage us in our spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.